When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A year ago when I asked the internet what if Bridgerton was a musical, I could not have imagined we would be holding a Grammy in our hands. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Daniel Schrader, sitting in for Madison Malone-Kircher. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And unfortunately for Madison, because she's not here, we're talking about one of her favorite topics, which is Martha Stewart. Poor Madison, she really had a great deep dive into Martha's content back on Christmas Day on our show. So if you missed that, definitely go check it out. But the big news that she missed today is Rachel, Martha Stewart's cat is dead. Gotta say, I I didn't know about this until one of y'all brought it up. And I was like, why is, why, what? Well, I mean, it normally wouldn't really be news that a celebrity's pet has died because pets die. That's just how it works. But it was actually the very jarring way in which Martha shared this with us that uh, really got us all talking about it. So on Instagram, and she has two Instagram accounts, so you need to make sure to choose her personal one, not her professional one. And her private handle is MarthaStewart48. So if you want to check it out, go there. But so... This week, she posted on her Instagram a photo of three men digging a hole. Because, I mean, that's the photo I would post uh, if I were eulogizing (laughs) a pet. And with it, she posted the caption, Burying the beautiful and unusual Princess Peony. The four dogs mistook her for an interloper and killed her defenseless little self. I will miss her very badly. R.I.P. Beauty. I have a lot of questions. A. Unusual. B. Mistook her for an interloper? Have these four dogs killed other things? See, how has this not happened before? I'm really, what happened this time? And why post a photo of the hole being dug? What else are you going to post? A photo of the actual cat that I'm saying goodbye to? I mean, I just feel like people might mistake that as just usual cat content when perhaps she wants to tell everyone that, in fact, there is a grave being dug. And and she did let us know. You knew as soon as you looked at that photo that something bad had happened. So great communication, Martha. Right. We need to have some grave concerns. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So many concerns. That is all the time we have today for grave concerns because we we have an unofficial musical to get into because... Somehow, some way, the underdog, the scrappy little fighter, the unofficial Bridgerton musical that started on TikTok won a Grammy on Sunday night. Later in the show, we will be talking with University of Colorado law professor Cristela Garcia about how the unofficial Bridgerton musical can exist, what it means now that it's won a Grammy, and how exactly fan works fit into the copyright system. But first, how did this musical come to be? And why is TikTok so good at creating musicals at all? More on that after the break.
not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well... It was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. And we're back at another award show, this time... There was no slap, or at least I haven't heard about it yet, so there currently is no slap, and I don't wish to hear about any other thing to the contrary. I think that even if something happened, we wouldn't have heard about it because who watches the Grammys? That's a good-ass question. We do know who the people throwing the Grammys are watching, which is the internet. Specifically TikTok stars. As a great piece from Slate points out, uh, we'll link it in the show notes, the Grammys this past Sunday owe a lot to TikTok this year. The best new artist category is full of people whose music has blown up on TikTok. You've got uh, Saweetie, Baby Keem, and of course, last year's dominant teen force, Olivia Rodrigo, to name a few. Rodrigo took home three Grammys, which honestly, less than I expected. But she took home Best New Artist, Best Pop Vocal Album, and Best pop solo performance for driver's license which means that we can all stop singing that song please for the love of god i just got it out of my head i mean hey i'm happy for her as the uh top streamed artist of my spotify 2021 good for her i don't know what that says about you but we will talk about that more after the show but we're actually here to talk about the wildest win of them all not the most expected one the musical duo Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear received a Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album for the unofficial Bridgerton musical. If you don't know how wild that sentence is, here's a little snippet from Barlow's acceptance speech. Uh, A year ago when I asked the internet what if Bridgerton was a musical, I could not have imagined we would be holding a Grammy in our hands. We want to thank everyone on the internet who has watched us create this album from the ground up. We share this with you. You are just as much as part of this project as we are. I want to thank... And that's not even some typical acceptance speech award show bullshit. That is objectively true, which is perhaps why this was such a surprise. The win was a surprise for a few reasons. The unofficial Bridgerton musical not only won despite never actually being staged in real life ever, but it also beat out musical theater giants like Stephen Schwartz and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, But perhaps most surprising is that the musical began and was composed on TikTok. But before we get into that, we do have to give you a little background on Bridgerton. Apologies if you spend any time on the internet because you already know everything about Bridgerton, including the best sex scenes. Bridgerton is a Regency period drama from Shondaland and Netflix. It stars a family of eight children, all very helpfully named in alphabetical order. The first season specifically is about the oldest daughter, Daphne, who is trying to find a husband. And I mean, who among us is not trying to find a husband? 
So yeah, it was a hit show that everybody loved. I know that you watched both seasons and you talked about it on a recent episode of The Waves. I did indeed. We're actually disclosed that I only watched half of the first season because I kind of thought it sucked, but the second season is a lot better. Can confirm. That's good to know because I didn't know a bridge or ton about the second season. Okay, well, we can all go home now before we discuss why exactly Bridgerton just made such fertile ground for a musical. I think it makes sense because it's like pretty obvious musical fare. It's a very pretty English period drama where people have a lot of feelings and just want to express those feelings. And you know a great way to express feelings? Through song. The first inklings of this musical began within a few weeks of the show's premiere. So on January 10th of 2021, Abigail Barlow posted a video to her TikTok with the now infamous caption, okay, but what if Bridgerton was a musical? What a beautiful party. clip she's singing what would become Daphne's song and then follows up with another video featuring the song Burn For You which is the song you were probably most familiar with if you've spent any time on TikTok. This is what you call a honeymoon Pacing around our separate rooms Running from our elaborate rules We're doomed Please forgive me your grace that is at least a song that has been inescapable on my own FYP. I unfortunately could probably recite the first few chords of that song from memory. I'm not going to do that. So after the success of these first two songs, Abigail follows up with a third, informing her followers that she has now recruited her writing partner, Emily Bear, to compose the entire musical. The two had met through mutual friends and they had bonded over graduating high school early and basically being child musical prodigies, which same relatable content, totally feel that. Oh yeah, as everybody who's heard your singing on the show knows. Mm-hmm, I have perfect pitch. Obviously. Uh, so a few days after this first post, Netflix actually even responded by posting on uh, Twitter what seems to be their approval. They tweeted a video of Abigail singing Burn For You, stitched with another actor, Nick Daly, singing a duet. And they said, absolutely blown away by the Bridgerton musical playing out on TikTok. They're watching. Even even they're aware that it's happening. They were definitely aware. I don't know if they quite knew what was going to happen. Because over the course of six weeks, the pair, now known collectively as Barlow and Bear, very much giving Barnum and Bailey, we love alliteration, these two document the whole process of writing the musical on their TikTok. So they're posting videos, they're live streaming their songwriting sessions, they're interacting with fans who are not only able to share their thoughts in the comments about the musical, but get involved in the making of it. Because TikTok is kind of perfect for this kind of thing. For a few reasons. It really is. There's the level of interactivity users feel with uh, the infamous comment sections that are always full of useful and useless information. And perhaps most importantly for Bridgerton's success, uh, the built-in ability to stitch videos, as the Netflix tweet demonstrated as well. Stitching is a huge, huge part of TikTok culture, specifically this kind of stitch duetting challenge in the singing realm of TikTok, where one person starts off usually singing a line, but often you'll see someone playing a piano, playing some kind of instrument, 
And the caption reads, you sing Red, or you sing this character. And so what happens is Abigail Barlow will post a video of her singing, say, Daphne's part. And then she will caption it, you sing Simon's part, which of course just encourages everyone on TikTok who can hold a tune to get involved. And there's also this general culture of POV, which stands for point of view acting reels, basically, where everyone is just emoting to a camera. So what I'm saying is there's kind of already a built-in model for something like the Bridgerton musical to occur. Yeah, and they really put those tools to use. Uh, It gave them a really steady feedback loop for their content and for people consuming and like giving notes on their content in a way. I think one interesting fact about that is that uh, I read in NPR that one line in one of their songs, Alone Together, even came from a commenter, which I think is a pretty cool idea. Yeah, and it gives fans or the people watching it, the people who perhaps against their will are watching this because the FYP loves to serve you things, to see the way this is coming together. And importantly, Bridgerton is not the only musical to come out of TikTok. Way back during pandemic season one, I don't know what season we're in right now, there was the Ratatouille musical, which was perhaps even more grassroots than Bridgerton, in that it sprang up organically on TikTok with users collaborating and creating across the whole platform throughout the show. So it's not like the Bridgerton musical in that Bridgerton is very much a Barlow and Bear production as based on the fact that they were the ones to accept the Grammy on Sunday. Ratatouille was very much a bunch of people who had never met each other coming together to write a musical on the FYP. A great thing about the Ratatouille musical is that it eventually ended up as a filmed concert in December 2020, featuring some pretty big Broadway stars. Um, And it was a benefit for the Actors Fund, raising over $2 million. So, like, this was this cute, fun, little grassroots musical that people were just writing and enjoying to kind of get through early days of the pandemic. But then, like, it really became something and became something that, like, TikTok and TikTok's community could own. And I think that's just really cool. Disney, surprisingly gave its blessing for the project. They told The Verge, we don't have development plans for the title, but we love when our fans engage with Disney stories. We applaud and thank all of the online theater makers for helping to benefit the Actors Fund in this unprecedented time of need. I do feel like the fact that because it was so communal and there weren't specific creators' names attached to it and because they were largely raising money for charity, Disney would look like a piece of shit for saying, hey, fuck you, this is ours. But with Bridgerton, I feel it's a bit more murky. Oh, I definitely agree. I also think that Disney had the thought of like, it would be rather difficult to stage a rat making somebody else cook. Like that would be just very hard to do from a uh, theatrical perspective. So, I mean, maybe they made the right choice. But uh, yeah, Bridgerton is much, I would say, also easier to stage than uh, a rat controlling a human. So I think it does definitely seem a bit murkier about like what this means for copyright. And are Barlow and Bear going to have to just like hand Shonda Rhimes their Grammy? Like what's going to happen? I mean, especially because there are just so many stakeholders here. It's not just Shonda Rhimes. It's not just Netflix. It's not just Julia Quinn, who was the author of the original Bridgerton series. It's all of them. 
All of this definitely left me questioning how exactly do things like the Ratatouille musical and now the Grammy award-winning Bridgerton musical legally exist? Doesn't it infringe on copyright? Is it a transformative enough fan creation when there are songs in the Bridgerton musical that straight up pull dialogue from the show? Those are some great questions that I certainly don't have the answers to. But thankfully, after the break, Rachel will be back with University of Colorado law professor Cristelia Garcia, who will answer all those questions for us and more. If you love our podcast, and I really hope you do, then consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on any Slate podcast. You get to support this show, which would not be possible without y'all. You get bonus segments and episodes on shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, Mom and Dad are Fighting, and Big Mood, Little Mood. And you get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means you get access to every single article and advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. To sign up, just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus. That is slate.com slash ICYMI plus. And we're back with University of Colorado law professor, Cristele Garcia. Hi, Cristele. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get into the Bridgerton of it all, I kind of want to lay the groundwork for people who are unfamiliar. So how would you define a fan work? Generally, we think of a fan work, much like it sounds, right? Anything created by a fan of another work. So in the legal parlance, we'd say an original work and then um, another work. And I say another work because I hesitate to say a derivative work, although some people, that's a legal term, right? Some people Mm. think they are derivative and therefore require a license Um, or a transformative work, which again is a legal term to say, maybe it's a fair use and it doesn't require a license. So I'll just say um, an other work that builds on an original work. And you mentioned fair use. What are the kind of precepts that go into making something fair use versus a copyright infringement, if that's the correct terminology? (laughs) Yes. In a nutshell, uh, well, there are statutorily four factors that go into a court's determination or a jury's determination of whether a follow-on work is a fair use. Um, Those factors are not necessarily always applied equally or given any particular weight. It depends. But one takeaway point I think we can generalize is to say under the current case law, fair use focuses predominantly on a concept known as transformativeness. That is to Mm -hmm. say, how um, different is this follow-on work and does it add something new or important that the previous work didn't have? That is uh, a generalization, but helpful shorthand, I think. The last time I spoke to you, I think it was back in August all the way in another timeline, it feels like. But it was about Tumblr's Post Plus program. And there were a lot of concerns there because basically the program allowed creators to monetize fan works. And there was this theory flying around that in allowing creators to monetize fan works, they were basically opening these creators up to legal liability. So if you made a fan drawing of Frozen, you were going to get sued by Disney. You very memorably told me, there's nothing to see here, folks. This is based on a misinterpretation of the law. And we've actually gotten a lot of questions about how exactly is Bridgerton legal when it's based not only off of a Netflix series, but a romance series by another author. Mm -hmm. So 
Does that whole nothing to see here motto also apply here to Bridgerton, the unofficial musical? Is it the unofficial that saves it? (laughs) Well, I'm not sure um, that I would make the same assessment in this case. I think that there are a couple of things that make this a little different, maybe. First of all, in the emphasis that I had in that Tumblr case was that merely adding a commercial component wouldn't turn something that was fair use into not fair use, nor vice versa, right? Like making something non-commercial couldn't save something that's not a fair use in the first place. So so here too, I think we could say there's a bit of a non-commerciality factor, but query whether that's true, right? Because TikTok certainly pays content creators, right? On the base of an ad share, um, as does Spotify, where the album now resides. So it wouldn't be accurate to say that Barlow and Bear aren't making any commercial income on this. But again, I'd say that is one factor among four that we might consider in terms of whether or not this is fair use. But again, transformativeness is the key because the more transformative a work is, generally speaking, the less weight the other factors, including commerciality, carry. Whereas the less transformative that that it's determined to be, the more weight we're going to give to other factors, including, among others, commerciality. So Mm -hmm. I think here that is a thing to think about, but it's certainly not the only thing to think about. Are there any other kind of factors specifically about the Bridgerton musical that make it less clear cut? I think a lot of that hinges on um, this um, challenging terminology in, in the copyright law world, too, and in fair use, which is when you have a work that's a derivative work, which means under the statute, it needs to be licensed. And when you have a work that's a transformative work, which means under the statute that it's a fair use and doesn't require a license. And the challenge is that there's a lot of work that skate that line pretty closely, where um, derivative works are often thought of as taking a work and recasting it in some new medium. So quintessential examples of derivative works, for example, take a novel and translate it into another language. That's derivative. Mm. Take a book and turn it into a TV series, right? Write a screenplay for it, that's derivative. And so Netflix had to license uh, Julia Quinn's books to write their series. Frankly, I'm inclined to think that a musical based off of an audiovisual work like a film is leaning towards a derivative work because it takes the content and recasts it in some new way. That said, and the reason I think this can be a close call, it adds a lot of new stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like it took songs from the series and just kind of, you know, sung them in a different voice. They're not cover songs. They're not even remixes, right? It's completely original work mixed in with other work, right? So it's conceivable that an argument could be made that it does something so new and so different in purpose and character to use legal terminology around mm-hmm. this, that we might actually have a transformative use that's that's fair use. Um, you know, if not, then then I think what we'll see Barlow and Bear doing is getting an ex post license, right? And sharing some revenues that are coming mm-hmm. from this with, with the copyright holders. The thing that struck me the most about Bridgerton, the musical, is that it kind of used dialogue directly from the show. And I was wondering as to whether that made it less fair use. <laughs> As a copyright attorney, I too cringed when I saw that the the dialogue was in there because I thought, you know, damn it, had you just not done this, then I think we could have made a more mm -hmm. colorful argument. Um, and, And listen, there's never one determinative thing, right, when it comes to fair use. 
But the challenge with using um, an actual sample, which is what this is, right, of the dialogue, it's not that they took the dialogue and then read it in their own voices um, or, you know, changed the words around and read them in a different language, say, right, or anything like that. They they literally lifted it. Um, is that we have a lot of case law that suggests that sampling, which is, you know, a common musical technique, is not fair use. And so even if uh, a court or a jury was to find fair use for the musical as a whole, I would without a doubt, think that the those particular samples of the dialogue would need to be either licensed or removed from the tracks. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like with this case, and with honestly, a lot of the cases of copyright use online, so much of it comes down to whether or not the copyright holder decides to take issue with it. Is that kind of what's happening here with neither Netflix or Julia Quinn really <laughs> suing? <laughs> Right. That's a, um, a an excellent observation. And it's certainly true, right, that copyright infringement um, is really only copyright infringement or alleged copyright infringement when the copyright owner acts to enforce their rights, right? Um, and if the copyright owner declines to sue for copyright infringement, then we don't have a thing. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why uh, it could be the case that um, the copyright owners for both Bridgerton the series and, and uh, the Julia Quinn for the books um, haven't done anything if they haven't, (laughs) which go back to the same sort of thing we were talking about with Tumblr and the fan-created works, that there's a lot of PR around, bad PR, I should say, possibilities for suing fans, right? Suing people who love the work. And in fact, uh, what was going on with the unofficial Bridgerton musical is a love letter from from the fans to the series. So there's a lot to uh, that that bolsters the series, bolsters interest in the series, even people who weren't watching before. So to some extent, it does exposure and promotion, which I always have hesitate to to cite as things, but they could be things. And so particularly in light of the Grammy win, I think the most likely outcome of that uh, would be some kind of ex post, that is to say, after the fact license um, with the powers that be that arranges some sort of a rev share, right? Because they are pulling in at this point and will continue in light of the Grammy win um, streams on Spotify and views on TikTok and, and the advertising revenue associated with that. Okay. Um, and then my last question is, Could Netflix technically add, like, Grammy award-winning to Bridgerton's accolades? (laughs) Well, see, that might be the hook for getting this negotiation off the ground. Um, I think that it would be disingenuous, a bit of a stretch, (laughs) to say that Bridgerton is now a Grammy award-winning thing, unless and until that ex-post agreement is in place and then they can sort of bring it into the family of of, of things um, and go from there. Uh, who knows what they're going to do, but I, <laughs> I feel like that would be a, a touch inaccurate. Okay, good to know. Bridgerton not up for an EGOT in any moment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, that is all my questions. Thank you so much for joining us, Christelia. Thank you again for having me, Rachel. I, uh, it was my pleasure. That was Christelia Garcia, law professor at University of Colorado. All right, that is the show. We will be back in your feed on Saturday, so definitely subscribe. It's the best way to never miss a fascinating conversation on the internet and copyright laws. Please leave a five-star rating and review in Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends about us. Tell your lawyer friends about us. Tell your copyright infringing friends about us. You can also follow us on Twitter, ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, is this legal? 
You can also always ask us if anything is legal at icymi at slate.com. Please don't confess a crime in our inbox. ICYMI is produced by me, Daniel Schrader. We are edited by Forrest Wickman and Allegra Frank. And Alicia Montgomery is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. See you online. Or at the Grammys. I know we weren't perfect, but... Mm -hmm. No, don't know her. Who is she? Anyway. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.